Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the El Dorado Performing Arts Center. <laughs> See, I'm glad I got a laugh. Yeah, right? Wait, didn't the music go down? <laughs> I was pranking our tech team. <laughs> like, let's see how let's see how long they wait before they think they did it wrong. <laughs> oh, good morning, everybody. Um, hey, as people trickle in, it's good to see you today. Um, the rain is nice. I love the cold weather, and I'm actually cold up here, only wearing a hoodie right now. So um, this is this is fun. I'm not going to spend much time up here. Um, <laughs> uh, hey, welcome. Um, this is Vox Community. Uh, most of you in here, I think, I think we know or seen. If you are new here, um, uh, thanks for coming. Um, we are a, a fun little church, pretty low key. Uh, a lot of what we do is really just to invite you to to share um, what we. Uh, feel Jesus is doing in our lives and uh, to see the beauty um, in that. Uh, we have a little bit uh, to talk about about what to expect for the morning. Uh, do we got that slide we can throw up there? Because if I do it by memory, I'm going to not do it well. That's fine. Let's just, we'll, we'll jump to this. So uh, we do have a few events coming up on um, the next few Sundays. Um, our next care workshop, we've been doing these four times a year. Um, that is going to be on March 11th uh, at 7 p.m. It's on a Monday night. Originally, it was on Tuesday. So if you had in your mind, it was Tuesday the 12th. Um, it has been changed to the 11th. We changed it a few weeks back. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I had it up and it was, I hadn't changed the slide. So oops. Um, yeah, these care workshops is our way to actually have uh, the bigger dialogue around spiritual and mental health. And so uh, there's a lot of different ways in which we enter these conversations and discuss these matters. And so we'll be doing that um, with our next care workshop on March 11th. Um, spiritual workshop next week. There we go. Uh, so next week, um, Ronnie, uh, who is teaching today, uh, will be hosting um, our next spiritual practice workshop actually on Sabbath. So uh, this is a fun conversation. Um a lot of people have different uh, ideas about what Sabbath um, actually is, and uh, this is going to be kind of fun to learn about what it actually is. I mean, I grew up thinking like, oh, Sunday I'm supposed to rest. It's like, well, I'm, if I'm a teenager waking up to go to church every Sunday morning, Sunday is not Sabbath. So, <laughs> right? But in fact, it's as it turns out, it is actually a day to enjoy all that God has made in its wonderful ways. So it just looks a little different than we thought. So that's March 9th next week, um, right after gathering at 11.45, and then... Um, I don't have a slide for this, but then we are continuing our conversation on women in leadership on the following uh, week after that. So that, I believe, will be March 17th, I think, is that next uh, Sunday afternoon. Thanks, Izzy, for that nod of uh, date affirmation there. Um, oh, okay. And then the uh, financial quarterly slide. Is that in there? Is that in there? Nope. Nope. This is fun. Nope. Okay, so March 24th, we are going to actually have um, our quarterly uh, kind of financial uh, business meeting to share with you guys um, how we're doing, what we're doing. Uh, we'll be doing that immediately after service um, in the PE room uh, like we have done before. So uh, be sure to uh, come to that if you can. Um, if you're curious about uh, what the church is doing, how we're doing, um, that is where uh, we'll be doing that. So uh, Ronnie will be teaching with us uh, today, as I mentioned. Uh, we'll be spending some time doing a communion, of course. Um, our church is built around 
um, the Eucharist. And what that means is that um, everything that we've prepared for you this morning um, around our worship, around our teaching, ultimately leads to our moment where we can approach the table um, where we all have something to give up and everything to consider. And ultimately, um, all of this, whether it's the worship um, or the Eucharist, it's really an invitation um, into what uh, Jesus could be doing in our lives and what he is doing in our lives for those of us that have chosen to follow that. And so uh, by no means necessary are we forcing you to do anything or suggest that you have to believe how we believe and what we believe, but rather we invite you to consider um, what that might look like for you today. So um, Izzy's going to go ahead and uh, we're going to start off with uh, some music and then uh, we'll get going this morning. Sound good? All right. Thanks, guys. Oh, you guys made it through the rain. You guys braved it. You're so brave. You guys did it. It's this crazy weather. Uh, welcome. Welcome to Vox. Uh, if it's your first time, glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Ronnie. I'm one of the pastors here, one of the teachers here. Um, and so as Andy was saying earlier, we have lots of different teachers. We, we like that. We believe that that helps us more rounded, uh, has, helps us to have different perspectives on different things. And so you'll kind of pick up on that. Um, if you stay around here long enough, you'll see that we have different teachers who think differently, which is a good thing. Um, and so <clears throat> this morning... Uh, we are going to talk about the image of God. Uh, this is a, a small passage in Genesis that talks about it, but there's this theme that threads itself throughout the narrative of the scripture. Uh, and so I kind of want to talk a little bit about it this morning. And I think um, as I was studying this this last week, uh, there are pretty far-reaching implications about what it means to have the image of God in us. Uh, and so hopefully some of that will come out this morning as we continue to talk. And hopefully, uh, my hope is that this would create more questions in you, that you might have questions about, um, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for us as a, as a, as a community? Because it, it puts us in a place of tension, uh, and it should. Uh, so that's kind of what we're going to uh, uh, start with. So uh, let me ask a question before we start. So does anybody know what, what the most famous environmental picture ever was that was taken? Anybody know that? Can I take, take a guess? What? What was it? Oil spill. Okay, what else? Earth from space. Can we throw up that first one? We're going to do old school flannel graph style, but this is like new school church style, okay? I don't have like the board and everything. So this is, um, this is Earthrise. This is what this was called. Um, this was taken in 1968 from the Apollo 8 uh, mission. And uh, what's so powerful about this picture is that this is the first time uh, anybody, normal civilians, had an opportunity to see Earth from this perspective. Um, so, you know, we're so used to it now. Everywhere we go, we see Earth, and, we, and for us, it's sort of become numb to it. But you can imagine seeing it for the first time, how powerful this image is. Uh, it evokes lots of different thoughts and feelings, and even if you begin to look at it, it's sort of, um, as I look at it, it kind of makes me think about the vastness of the universe and how small we really are, right? I think for, for, for millennia, as long as there have been people, we've questioned and wondered, what is our meaning? What is the existence of us being here? Uh, it causes all of us at some point to marvel uh, at the vastness of the universe that we're in and then it, that here we are, that the lives that we live um, are all a part of this place. Now, this is not new. The, the ancient Near East cultures had lots of uh, reasons and meanings for how things came into existence. That's what we do, right? As human beings, we are meaning makers. We make meaning out of everything. Think about it. Think about it in your own life. When something happens in your life, how often do you find yourself trying to make meaning of that thing? Good or bad, right? Well, this happened to me, and that's because, go ahead, you name it, right? And some of that could be shaped by your theological perspective. Some of it could be by the way that you were raised, your culture, your environment. 
The Babylonians, one of the oldest ancient Near East cultures, uh, had an origin story about their creation, about why they existed and how they came into existence. Um, This is explained in their literature called the Enuma Elish. And so you can look this up. This is not something I'm making up, I promise you. Um, This is one of their gods. This is Marduk. Marduk uh, was one of their supreme gods. Um, We'll get into Marduk in a little bit. uh, But Marduk primarily uh, is important because when you look at the images... So in, in, in Babylonian culture, the, the, the idols, the gods, that they, the whole pantheon that was there, the gods were meant to be representative, not, uh, not necessarily the deity. So when you look at a, 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 a sculpture or if you were to see an idol, it wasn't necessarily that that was the god. It was meant to be that that, that was the representation of the deity, that he was dwelling in this place. And so you can start to see some of the parallels within Christianity, which we're going to continue to get to. But Marduk uh, is interesting because when you look at the Babylonian creation story, um, Marduk was the supreme god above all the other gods. And uh, in in ancient Near East culture, uh, if you're a Babylonian, uh, religion's a bit dicey because there's lots of gods. And you have to be careful because if you displease the wrong god or offer something to the wrong god, well, gosh, I mean, you'd be on the wrong side, right? Uh, And so trying to play this game with the pantheon of gods that the Babylonians had became a sort of a dangerous thing. Um, There were moon gods, there were sun gods, there were earth gods, there were sky gods, there were star gods, there were lots of different gods in the ancient Near East culture. Now, it's interesting because the Babylonians believed that only the king could be made in the image of God. So as you're listening to all this, some of this should start ringing a bell to you, right? And start start making some connections here. Let's start with the next one. This is Tiamat. Tiamat is another god of the Babylonian Empire. Uh, Marduk and Tiamat have this square-off battle royale duel in their origin creation story, right? Uh, Marduk goes and he wants to overtake and become the supreme god, so he ensnares Tiamat in a net, and once he grabs Tiamat, then it says that, you know, he, he pierces her with an arrow, and then he splits her apart, like literally destroys her, pulls her insides out, and then, as an afterthought, out of, out of destruction and death, he decides to create humanity to serve the gods, right? Now, as you're hearing this story, I want you to think about this for a second. This is a convenient creation origin story. If you are a world superpower that wants to dominate your opponent and other cultures by death and destruction, right? Because it says this is your creation story. This is your origin. This is where you came from. Death and destruction, conquering battles. This is who you are. So it's a convenient story for the Babylonians to have this as a part of their tradition. Uh, Then, around the same time as the Babylonian Empire, there emerges a new group of people, this Israelite people. And they have a creation story, a creation story that's set against that same backdrop. Imagine in the same culture that you're surrounded by, you have this map, essentially, of how things work, how the world operates, right? Everybody's under the assumption that there's a pantheon of gods and that death and destruction is the way that things are created and made. And then a new creation begins. See, for the biblical writers of Genesis, they're telling us something different about this God, Yahweh, a different type of God, not many, many gods, but one God, who creates in a different way. 
You see, it says in the beginning that there is this chaos of water. See, the water narrative, the water metaphor throughout Genesis um, is descriptive of this idea of chaos, right? You think about in the very beginning, there was chaos, the dark waters. Then you think about the floods, right? Noah, destruction, chaos. Out of this chaos, the one God, Yahweh, creates. He begins to create the things that you see. The biblical narrative says that Yahweh actually purposefully designs humanity. When he creates the heavens and the earth, the stars and the skies, each and every time, so much so, the writers tell us that several times God looks at his creations and said, it is good. Not as an afterthought, he comes to humanity, right? And on the sixth day, it says he created humans. The culminating moment of God's creation is humanity. Now, compare and contrast the two stories, right? You see how political even that is in a climate, in a culture, in an environment that says that death and destruction is the way that you live. And here we see, no, this is goodness and love and creation and beauty. He creates this garden. He creates humans to act as his representatives. So we begin to see something about the intended order of our world and the way that things are. Humanity is not an afterthought here to serve the gods. Humanity is the pinnacle. It says this in Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish and the sea the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth, the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the animals that scurry along the ground. Again, notice the political statement that's being said here. Maybe not necessarily implied, implicit, but you can see that a different narrative is emerging amidst the Babylonian culture and their creation story. In this story, in the Genesis story, in the biblical narrative, human life is held in the highest regard. Not a lower view of life, but a higher view of life. Genesis chapter five says this, verse one, This is the written account of the descendants of Adam. When God created human beings, he made them to be like himself. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them human. This, in theology, we call the imago Dei, the image of God. That when God looked down and created humans, he created us in his likeness, in his image, to be a representative of what he is like in the world. Now, let's throw up this picture I have of Adam and Eve. This is a great picture. It's PG, right? It's very church appropriate. Um, Adam, it's the Hebrew word. Anybody know? For humanity. Eve, it's the Hebrew word for life. That sink in for a second. See, women bring life, right? So Adam and Eve is the story about God looking down on this earth that he creates and the beauty and he inserts humanity and life into it. There's very clear instructions from the Genesis account, that narrative about how and which the way we're supposed to live inside this world. 
Now, we're not going to get into the garden story and the fall because, you know, that's a different message altogether, but I just want to talk about this, this idea of being image bearers, that all of us were created in the likeness of a loving God. He designed humans to rule. It says that. Now, this implies a lordship and not an exploitation. That's important key. God gives no license in scripture for us to destroy his creation. Popular to some religious beliefs of some traditions, it's all gonna burn anyway, so what does it matter, right? Why spend money and resources in taking care of natural resources? Just take and rape the land for all it's worth to serve our own needs. That is not the Genesis account. You see, God calls us to be stewards of his land. You already begin to see the implications of what it means to be an image bearer in God's world, that we would care for the environment, that we would be the first on the scene to look after those things in our, in our environment that have been destroyed, overlooked, pushed aside. This is the narrative that the writers in Genesis begin to tell us. Now, I had this picture up. Let me show the next one. Unfortunately, this is sort of what the world sees when it sees Christians, right? When it sees our tradition, it typically tends to see the picketing, the loud voices, the ones who have this uh, mantra that it's all going to burn anyway, um, more about what we're against than what we're for, right? And see, the Genesis account tells us something different. It tells us that, that we're all more the same than we are different. That we're all a part of this humanity, this life that God breathes onto this earth. Now, there are two implications for the Imago Dei if you begin to take this down this road. The first one is this. Humanity bears the image of a divine creator. That's a pretty powerful thing. That a lot of what we experience, a lot of what we see around us, and if you look at this community just as a microcosm, you can see God in it, right? I mean, the number of adoption stories in our church is amazing. It's one of the, most, it's one of the things I'm most proud of about this community, is that adoption is such a huge part of this community that people are willing to see others who maybe have been pushed aside, discarded, or overlooked and say, no, you can come and be a part of our family because that is the story of the gospel, right? That you're adopted, that we're pulled in, that we are part of. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Humanity bears the image of a divine creator. Therefore, the second implication, all creation must be treated as such. All of creation must be treated as such. All people are deserving of upholding their beauty, their dignity, and their respect as image bearers of a divine creator. So you can see where we've kind of come, right? Our culture, the way we've been polarized to think about each other. See, as I was studying this, I was very, very um, convicted about my own way of treating others. Um, I, I, I personally have shared this before. One of the ways that I can become very dark is dismissive of people that I think are um, not as good. That's just me being honest, okay? Um, I can be very dismissive. I can, I can call people stupid or whatever. And this became more true to me recently. Uh, 
Lots of, lots of documentaries on Netflix to watch. I mean, you could just get lost in it, right? There's tons of different shows. This one fascinated me, and I, I don't mean this to be a joke. I don't want it to be funny because there actually is a serious point to it. Um, but there's this documentary called Behind the Curve. Anybody heard this? For anybody who's a science person out there, this is probably going to ring true for you. I'm a science person. You know, that's my background. Um, Behind the Curve is about this group of people called Flat Earthers. Okay? Don't laugh. I laughed too. Okay. Initially, I was like, I, I, here's my dismissive side. I want to laugh. I want to call people stupid. I want to go, you're crazy. But this documentary was showing this culture that was created around this idea that the earth is actually flat. So, you know, just dismissing science and everything that we've proven over the last several hundred years. Um, no, the earth is actually really flat and there's this whole conspiracy behind it. And I'm sitting there on the couch and I'm watching this and I'm laughing like, you idiots, right? Like, how could you? And it was like fascinating to me that someone can get caught and wrapped up into this. And then there was this point in the documentary that got me. And I was like, oh, Jesus. Jesus always seems to get me in these moments. But they were talking to, you know, the, the documentary starts talking to people who are in flat earth, and then it begins to talk to people who are in the scientific community, specifically like astrophysicists and people, uh, you know, who are way smarter than I am. And they go to this like science meeting at Caltech. And there's like thousands of scientists in this room, and they're giving these little speeches to each other. Then this one guy gets up, and he talks about scientific superiority. And he goes, you know, let's bring up flat earthers for a second. And he starts to make this case that part of the reason why flat earth is gaining ground is because of scientific superiority that has pushed aside these people and said that you're irrelevant, that you don't matter, that we shouldn't listen to you. And what he said and what he was proposing that as, as scientists, as people who are studying, we should be more empathetic. We should learn to walk with these people and give them maybe a better education on what they don't understand rather than make fun of and stand away from. And I was like, gosh, dang it. <laughs> you see, because I want to be dismissive and just say, you're dumb, you don't get it, and just push you aside and make you overhear. Scientific superiority. How about religious superiority? This is another one, right? Who's in, who's out? What's even crazier is that you get into our tradition, Christianity, there's even religious superiority in that, right? Who's right and who's wrong? And see, what happens is the more that we dive into this dismissiveness of other people, we begin to isolate ourselves from them and isolate them from us, and pretty soon, no longer are they image bearers, people made in the image of God, they're just others, and you know what happens when you make people less than human, right? We call that contempt. And when you have contempt for somebody, there's no depth to what you could do, right? Hitler had extreme contempt for the Jews. Now, I'm not making parallels and saying that anybody's Hitler, but what I'm saying is that when we make others and other people less than what they were created and designed to be, that's a very dangerous place. The dismissiveness of our created nature, our humanity, is a dangerous place. And if you understand the Imago Dei, this affects how we view everything, right? Everything should change in light of the Imago Dei, that all of creation bears the image of God. 
Developing a moral ethic of how we treat others, right? Who has the, who is an image bearer? That, that begs the question, who's in, who else is an image bearer? Is, it, is an image bearer only those who accept Jesus? Or as the writer said, is it all of creation? How we view capital punishment, have a picture? Now, obviously, this is nuanced, right? Because we can get into politics, and that's not what I'm getting at. But what I'm saying is, if Genesis tells us that the highest order is humanity that is created, that we're all made in the image of God, and that people are deserving of dignity and respect and their beauty, how does it shape the way we talk about things like capital punishment? You start to feel a little bit of the tension, right? Hopefully you feel some tension. It should bring some tension. Next picture. How do we view people from other races and religions and backgrounds? You know, if we play the in or out game, what about those who aren't so fortunate to have to hear about Jesus the way that you did or went to the schools that you did or go to the church that you go to? Again, who is an image bearer? And what are we to do with other image bearers? Developing a solid sexual ethic for ourselves is important. How do we uphold the dignity, respect, honor, and ownership of one's own body? Image bearers, right? My wife has been going through this book called Pure that talks about the purity movement, and I don't want to get too far off on this tangent. But one of the things is how to talk to your children about sex and sexuality. I think that today, perhaps it's possibly it's more important to talk about dignity and another person's worth and value and them being an image bearer than it is for you to say don't. Because don't takes care of itself when you understand how you can use and abuse other people to please yourself. You see, image bearing plays huge roles in our life and how we see things when we take it all back to this very beginning. How do you view abortion? Not just babies, but the people who are affected by having abortions, those who've contemplated it. You see, this situation is much more nuanced than just saying I'm pro-life or I'm pro-abortion. Again, keep in mind, image bearer. Everyone is an image bearer. Every creation bears the image of God. It should create a tension. There should be a part of you that goes, oh, I'm not sure. I don't know how I feel about that. Next picture. How about immigration? This is another one. What do we do about people who just want a better life? who deserve dignity and respect and honor as image bearers of God. When something comes in between that, we have to ask ourselves, wait, where do we align with the Imago Dei? Right? Again, we don't have to get into politics, and I'm not saying we all have to agree, to, to, we all have to agree on everything. That's not what I'm saying. What I am suggesting is that when we make decisions about these things, 
Could we put the imago Dei, the image-bearing qualities and beauty of other human beings first and let that begin to dictate the conversation? How does that, how does that change the culture and cultural narrative? How do we view women? As a, as a marginalized minority group that hasn't had access to the same things that men have, right? It's easy to just write it off and say, oh, they're just making it up, or oh, it's not really there, or whatever. But if we see people who are struggling to embrace their identity, embrace their humanness, how do we as fellow image bearers come alongside and support and maintain and lift that? How do we view, this next picture, how do we view the LGBT community? What do we do with that? You know, it's, it's interesting. We went to a conference recently uh, for churches to talk about the LGBTQ co- uh, conversation and what do we say and how do we talk about this. And, and there was something that was staggering to me as I was hearing. 5,000 youth in the LGBT community commit suicide every year. There are over half a million suicide attempts in the LGBTQ community alone. How can anyone say they're pro-life and not see that as a problem? Right? Because they're image bearers. Regardless of what your theological belief is, if we let the image bearing thing, that, that conversation happen first, And then we talk about human flourishing and dignity and honor and respect and love. That should begin to shape the conversations that we have. Hopefully, and I'm just bringing up a few things, hopefully this creates attention for you because this is the narrative of the gospel, right? Jesus questions our assumptions and our thoughts about humanity. The Sermon on the Mount does this full speed, right? He goes right into a culture that has created an us and them mentality, an in or out mentality, and then in the Sermon on the Mount, he flips it upside down and goes, no, no, you got it wrong. These people are in. He questions the assumptions about what's right and what's wrong. We move through the, the narrative of the gospel, and you'll see, you know, you, when you look at Israel, It's real easy to think that Israel got it wrong, that they thought that they were the only ones, that they were in and everybody else was out and God was gonna dominate. But see, what they didn't realize is that they were created as image bearers to what? To reflect the image of God to the world. The reason that God put them there was to show the rest of the world who this God is. In the midst of that map, remember the one I told you about, the Babylonian pantheon, the lots of different gods where religion becomes dicey. God goes, no, I want to show you a better way, one of love and of honor and of glory, of grace and mercy. And so we enter into the New Testament, the incarnation. The incarnation is a theological fancy word that just means that God put on flesh in the person of Jesus. And Jesus answers, what is the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? Matthew 22, Jesus says this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second 
is equally important. Notice he says equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law, the law that sort of supposedly separated people, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So Jesus reflects back to this idea in Genesis about image bearing. Love God and then love others as yourself because you are all made in the image of God. This tells us something about the nature of our relationship to the creator. Loving neighbor should flow naturally when we learn to love God with all of our being. And as humanity bears the image of the creator and that same creator dwells in us, then learning to love others becomes an integral part of how we love God. Do you see this up and down, sort of side to side love that Jesus is talking about in Matthew. So the argument here then becomes, if you can't love neighbor who bears the image of God, how then do you love God? If we can't see each other as human, created in the likeness and image of God, then how do we begin to love God? And Jesus talks about loving enemy, and you go, wait, what, how, how do we do that? How does anyone love an enemy? What does it mean? Well, we can make a basic statement about this from the Imago Day, from what we just heard. Because I've had this question before. How do you love enemy? How do you love someone who's not like you? How do you, and it doesn't mean I go to your house and cook you dinners because we think differently, right? It doesn't mean that I wash your car or I paint your fence. That doesn't necessarily mean love, although it can. If we take the Imago Day and run it through its whole narrative, I think the way that we love enemy and other is to uphold the dignity, the beauty, the respect of a fellow image bearer and whatever that looks like. Hold them in equal regards as yourself. No matter where you find yourself in a theological or political debate, you should always be asking yourself, is this another image bearer? And if they are, I have a feeling it's going to be yes, and if they are, let that dignity, respect, love, and honor be the guiding light for that conversation. How do we promote human flourishing? Regard, this, regardless of what we believe, we can have different beliefs. Again, I'm not saying everybody has to believe the same thing. But at a very basic, fundamental level, how do we care for each other? This community, Vox, I have high hopes for. Because you are the type of people who, who lean into the questions, who lean into the tension, who want to wrestle with conversations like this, who feel comfortable to say, I don't necessarily know if I agree with you politically. That's good. Because when we have dialogue, that creates trust. And when we have trust, guess what? This becomes a safe place. A safe place to talk about anything and everything. But more importantly, it says that we're all human. That we're more like each other than we are different. And that connects us. I hope that this morning's conversation brings questions. I hope that this morning's conversation challenges you.
challenges your thinking. I know it challenged mine. I can't look at flat earthers the same. I see them as people. And gosh, I'm sure I got my flat earth. I don't know what it is, but I'm sure I got it, right? People look at me and go, you're an idiot, and that's fine. As long as we treat each other with dignity and honor and respect, we uphold the Imago Dei. God, we thank you for this place. We thank you for the story that you have woven into all of humanity, Um, that we're not an afterthought here to serve your every desire and need, but instead our well-being, our lives are your primal focus, that you want to care for us, that you want us to live in love and mercy and grace and peace, but we need help with that. You know, you know us, we're human, we make mistakes, we mess it up. So please remind us gently in those moments who we were created to be in the image and likeness of a loving God. In your name we pray, amen. Um, the Eucharist is an incredible symbol of this flattening, no more hierarchy, No more who's in, no more who's out. All are welcome. Jesus sets the table and says, this is my body. This is my blood for you. You don't have to earn it. In fact, if you think that you deserve it, you probably don't deserve it. If you think you don't deserve it, then you're the right person to come and take it. That's the posture we want to have. And that puts us all on a level playing field. So we have... um, Gluten-free communion on this side, right here on the upper side. We also have communion down front, and we have our community pastors who are also around who would love to pray with you. Um, In the next few moments, you guys are free to take communion as the band plays. They're going to lead us through some songs, and then we'll come back out, um, and then we'll end the morning. But this is your time. Oh, how good was that song? As uh, Dallas Willard used to say, country music is sitting in the lap of the devil. You really did say that one time. Uh, hey, thanks for coming. Uh, a couple quick things before you leave, just as a reminder. 24th is our State of the Church. We'll be doing some of the financial stuff, and so we'd love to have you come and be a part of that. You can sit in and listen, ask questions, so make sure you put that on your calendar. So for that next Sunday after church, I'll be hosting a, another workshop on the Sabbath. So if you're interested in that, um, you can sign up or just show up, whatever you want to do. It helps us to know if you're coming, if you sign up, but if you just show up, well, we'll do, we won't shame you or anything. Um, and then if you want to help participate in what we're doing and keeping this church going financially. Um, We really appreciate that and we need that. So we have participation boxes that are here and outside. You can also give online if you'd like to as well. Um, I believe junior high is serving donuts outside, so you're free to go get it. There's no calories at church, just as a reminder, right? That's true. So, all right. Well, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.